Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 297 being recorded on Tuesday, October 10th, 2022. I'm your host, Jason Retail Gee Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason. And welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Well, Jason, I have to admit, I'm a little, I got a little case of the crud. I've got a little nasal throat coughing going on. So I apologize to listeners if I sound different. You you sound like deeper and more authoritative, so I feel like you should make some predictions. Or do my Darth Vader voice. Ooh. The dark side of the force. I believe that's copyrighted now. I don't think yeah. I don't even think James Earl Jones owns it anymore. He doesn't. He's a bot. Exactly. A, but yeah, Bruce Willis is not. That was a false rumor, apparently. Ah. Fake news. You never know where it's gonna come at you. Exactly. Have we lost all the listeners, do you think? <laughs> Not yet. Let's talk about Star Wars. Yeah, I feel like that's the most requested thing we've gotten in the last several shows is we're way behind in our um, uh, geek TV reviews. Yeah, I, uh, this is where I have to uh, kind of admit guilt and say I have I am not current on all this. I have not had a lot of time, so I have been putting all my effort into Star Wars, and I'm current on Andor, but not... Uh, Rings of Power or the Game of Thrones one whose name always escapes me. Dance with Dragons. Dance of Dragons. Dancing Dragons. Yeah. Dancing with Dragons. Yeah. And have you seen some episodes? Have you seen a little of each show at least? I have not. No. I was going to wait maybe this summer been to them. Fun. A lot of my geek friends do not like this. So, I don't know. Yeah, it is interesting. I like all of them. I mean, I feel like they're you know, TV is just so amazing now, and these are, all feel like a movie every week. Um, so, like, at, at some level, it's hard to to be too critical. Uh, I feel like uh, there are a lot more people that have deeper familiarity with the source ma- material behind Lord of the Rings. And so any deviation from the source material is um, problematic for some viewers, and they're you know, there are a lot of TV conveniences in this show. So if you just wanted a super loyal adaptation of Token, hey, I'm not sure how you could even get that because it kind of doesn't exist. Like this is patched together from a bunch of different source materials and Amazon actually doesn't own the rights to everything. So there's certain things that they have to avoid. Uh, yeah. Huh. And uh, yeah, so so to me, I don't know. It's I like it. I would say, what have there been like seven episodes there's a lot of background that has to be set. So I felt like it got off to a, there was a lot less tension and and drama early on. It was visually stunning, but you didn't care as much about the characters and, and things are just starting to heat up in the last episode. Got it. Whereas cool. that's rings of power. That's rings of power. Okay. Whereas house of the dragon, which our intern corrected me when I said dance of dragons, um, house of the dragons. I do feel like, uh, it's it's interesting. Uh, I there was more tension and more more. Not every episode had a ton of action, but there was a lot. There was a lot more things to carry the story story forward. And one thing that I think is kind of novel 
they are covering a huge amount of time and, and like each episode so far has been a pretty meaningful time leap and they keep swapping out actors. Yeah. So it's good for Hollywood more, uh, more jobs, I guess. Yeah. And uh, nobody gets leverage over them to negotiate better salaries, right? Like, yeah, you come in for a negotiation. We're going to accelerate 20 years. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and that show is of course famous for killing everyone off. So both your character is going to die and we'll use an older version of you. So how do you rank the three? If- uh, I guess I have liked House of Dragons better than Rings of Power. I enjoy watching both. Uh, and I have kind of blown it on Andor. I've I've watched two episodes and I watched them too late at night when I was multitasking. Uh, you and lost track of it. it yeah, I feel like it requires more attention. So to be honest, I've kind of said to myself, I need to go back and rewatch it in a more attentive mood. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. The first couple, you're like, is this a Star Wars story? And then like by episodes, episode three, you're kind of like, aha, okay, here we go. Ah, well, I'm one episode too short. So that's a good pro tip. Yeah. So lots of lots of good TV. It's been, uh, uh, you're going to have some good binge watching uh, when and if you ever do get some free time. Very cool. But we're not here for science fiction. That's what other podcasts do. We're here for digital retail. And you have been all over the place. So I'm excited to get some road trips. Yeah, I am flying all over the country so that you don't have to. You're welcome. I I really appreciate it. Because travel right now is not fun. And I'm glad you're out there braving it for us. Oh, my God. It isn't. I am uh, sitting in a hotel room on four consecutive weeks of travel. Thankfully, my last one for a little while. Um, And it does suck. Like... Every plane is jam packed. Like you know, it feels like the whole system's more fragile. So if anything gets delayed and it ruins everyone. Uh, yeah, uh, I have fancy status and getting marginal seat. There's a lot of first world problems going on in travel, uh, but yeah. I made it everywhere I needed to go. And I think this journey, as far as our listeners are concerned, started getting interesting in Las Vegas for Grocery Shop 2022. Awesome. So that was a derivative or a spinoff show. So we had uh, Shop Talk, and then they did a grocery-focused one. And uh, you, you're you usually are doing half the talks at that. Did you get a lot of airtime air at Grocery Shop? Uh, I, I got some good airtime at Grocery Shop. Um, annoyingly, I had a Grocery Shop a food client that had their own summit in Los Angeles in the middle of Grocery Shop. So I actually went to Grocery Shop, did a gig... Jumped on a plane to Los Angeles, did a gig in Los Angeles, jumped back on a plane to Las Vegas, did another gig in Las Vegas, and then I flew to Colorado Springs for the Consumer Brand uh, Association Executive Summit, which is all the the big wigs from the CPGs, many of which were also at Grocery Shop. So, uh, so it was a lot of back and forth. Uh, but you're right, Grocery Shop's a spinoff of Shop Talk, which is uh, old school, a spinoff of a show called Money 2020, if you're really... Um, ah, yeah. uh, early spin-off of, a spin-off of a spin-off. Exactly. And, uh, I want to say this is the fourth year, fourth year of the show. Uh, I felt like it was a really timely thing for them to launch a grocery show. Cause they kind of launched it right before grocery became a really big digital thing. Um, and then of course the pandemic hit, they had it last year, but it was pretty heavily impacted by the pandemic last year. So it was sparsely attended. Uh, but this year it felt all the way back. So it was in Mandalay Bay. Uh, it felt like it had good density. Uh, all the, sh- the shop talk and grocery shop shows are pretty good at getting aspirational presenters and keynote speakers. Um, so there are always people you want to hear from. 
and then you know it uh like any show it could be hit or miss which which presenters shared something super insightful or not but uh uh a lot of um uh you know big name uh keynotes at the show and uh pretty robust uh trade show floor and you know networking activity all around cool what were so uh i i don't think many listeners got to go tell us the the highlights yeah so the biggest theme to me uh that was kind of funny is uh retailers trying to become platforms for other retailers so uh, by far, the biggest exhibitors at the show and the biggest sponsors of the show were Amazon, Walmart, and Instacart. And all of them not advertising their B2C services, all of them advertising their B2B services to other brands and retailers. So uh, Instacart launched a whole sort of portfolio that they call the Connected Stores, which are kind of all these back-of-house back digital grocery services to help a, a grocer launch their own digital grocery initiatives. Um, and they, they had a bunch of cool stuff. They had smart carts, they had, uh, um, order picking software. They had all these, all these, um, uh, various B2B services, uh, Walmart connect, which is Walmart's ad age, uh, ad network, retail media network, um, w- had a huge presence there, but also this thing that Walmart calls Walmart commerce services, which is kind of, Walmart's version of AWS. So they have like their own um, uh, store fulfillment software that they outsource. They have their own last mile delivery service called Go Local that they now they now have 10,000 retailers that deliver their goods via Walmart. Um, and Amazon had a big presence, both a meeting booth and a trade show uh, booth uh, for just walkout technology for JWAT. Yeah. To have is there a list of people that have done JWAT? Uh, wasn't one of the convenience stores looking at it like Seven Eleven? Is that right? Uh, I don't recall Seven Eleven. Uh, there's a big uh, they they are getting more traction. Um, there's a big UK grocer uh, that's piloting it. Uh, this show is in Las Vegas at the Mandalay Bay, which is almost connected to the new uh, Las Vegas Raider Stadium, um, and the Las Vegas Stadium has it. So, which is actually to me a brilliant use case. Um, like they have all the, the, these like self-service, you know, uh, food and, uh, and beverage stadiums, sta- stations at the stadium that you just walk in, grab your stuff and walk out. Oh, neat. Yeah. Stadiums are great because the lines are always crazy. Yeah. Um, I, I would say it feels to me like JWAT is getting more third-party traction. Um, there's a couple of competitors out there that are also getting some traction. Um, I always say them wrong, but I want to say it's called... AFI, AI dot FI maybe um, is is uh, one of those that's getting some traction and uh, you know these guys are still seeding the market so I want to say one of the first third party users of the the Amazon technology was the um, the airport guys uh, here in Newark and they have all turned it off and there's a new crop of airport stores that have JWAT coming soon on the on the sign so it seems like you know, presumably some people got a really sweetheart deal in the pilot and then didn't want to scale is my guess, but I don't know. Um, but so to me, it's kind of interesting that a bunch of retailers came in a big presence, not to be retailers, but to be services to other retailers. <laughs> interesting. Kind of um, bait and switch. Yeah. So that was one big trend. Uh, 
another big trend. Uh, you know, this is a digital grocery show. Digital grocery got a lot of traction for people that don't follow it. It was probably two or three percent of, of grocery sales before the pandemic. Now it's like 10 or 11 percent of grocery sales. Um, so it's a pretty big deal. Uh, it's wildly unprofitable. Um, so grocery is a low margin business. Digital grocery is a negative margin business. And so one of the ways that all retailers are combating that is there's a huge amount of effort and money going into retail media networks. So retailers subsidizing their business by getting more ad dollars from the brands. And so there was a lot of conversations, technologies, panels about the emergence of retail media networks, largely led by Amazon's phenomenal success and $32 billion in ad sales. Yeah, I saw an interview with the CEO of Instacart in, uh, I guess, Fiji or Fiji. Uh, yeah. I don't know how you say her name. Um, but it's interesting. She was talking a lot about how they see a big leg of growth for them is both online and in store, uh, you know, ad networks that they want to build. Yeah. So, so, you know, it, at the moment, the, the networks are still kind of gen one and they, they need a lot better ad tech platforms and APIs and things, which they're rapidly adding. Uh, new formats, but like pretty quickly, you're you're also seeing them move to um, in-store impressions. So mm -hmm. you know a lot of the the Instacart connected stores are around like creating opportunities to have ads in the grocery stores. Uh, Amazon is doing that in Amazon Fresh. Walmart is already doing that at self service checkout and experimenting in other places. Um, I actually think in the long run, a lot of this is going to show up on in-store mobile is going to be a really popular format of, of the retail media <laughs> networks. And then they all are also launching their own DSPs and, uh, using their data to buy your TikTok ads, uh, with Walmart targeting data in it, for example. So, so you're going to buy a, uh, a Walmart online audience, a Walmart in-store audience, and a TikTok audience all through your Walmart Connect. Interesting. And when you say mobile, is that like my phone? Remember yeah, they would have like this it, thing that would talk to your Bluetooth and it would pop up an ad on your phone? Yeah. So if you're uh, the head of Walmart Connect yeah. and you're trying to find more more ad inventory, like one thing you could do is you could say, hey, let's hang 300 screens in every Walmart store that are playing ads. Um, right. That would you know, potentially detract a lot from the customer experience. They can't really be personalized because you don't really know who's in front of that screen. You don't really have a good reason to look at that screen except to consume ads. And it's, that's a high amount of CapEx and operational complexity. Um, so some of that might happen. I think that's not going to happen in large uh, scale, but uh, every retail in America is asking you to use your phone more while you shop and giving you more amenities on your phone while you shop. So in-store okay. wayfinding, uh, supplemented uh, uh, product content. Um, Walmart just rolled out uh, virtual mannequins and um, and you know AR-based product locators and all the, all this different stuff that has you using your phone as a co-shopping tool. And as long as you have that phone out while you're shopping, why wouldn't you also be fed personalized ads on that phone, which has zero capex to the retailer? Got it. Okay, cool. That makes sense. Yeah. And I've seen, uh, I think Instacart has, uh, they've come out with a digital shopping cart that they're starting to want stores to use and licensing technology. Was there a lot of these digital shopping carts? Not a lot. The, the Instacart one was there. Uh, Amazon did have the Dash cart in their, um, in their booth. 
uh, I think those were the only two digital shopping carts. I saw. Maybe there was a third digital shopping cart that was kind of like a, a value oriented one. Cause a lot of these are like super expensive. Um, yeah, I, I don't get the most excited about those at the moment. Like I tend to think shopping carts will get smarter, but I don't think retailers are going to pay multiples of the current shopping cart fee for, a uh, kind of a rudimentary smart cart. I think what's going to happen is the cost to have some digital enablement on that carts is going to get so low that you're just, when you start swapping out carts, you're going to get new digital ones. But like these kind of first generation ones are rough. Like the Amazon one, you're not allowed to take in the parking lot, which are you aware of what the purpose of the shopping cart is? <laughs> yeah, get the food to your it's car. It's to buy more goods than you can carry in your arms. So if if they make you unload the cart before you leave the store, you're kind of defeating the purpose. Uh, so I feel like it's a little early for those. I'm not super excited about them, but uh, I'm sure I'm sure it'll be part of the solution. The really cool ones, which we don't have in the U.S. yet, are the um, uh, add a Roomba to a shopping cart and have it follow you around, and you don't even have to push it. Yeah, that's kind of creepy. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's going to be featured in like Friday the 13th, part 37. <laughs> Some Stephen King novel where your cart attacks you. Exactly. If not that, the automated lawnmower for sure. So a lot of people feel like Amazon pulling back on their physical stores outside of Whole Foods it means they're kind of moving away from the space. Did you get a vibe on that or are they looking to be more of a provider of technology now? Yeah. So, I mean, at this show... You know, Amazon wasn't recruiting marketplace sellers. They weren't promoting Amazon. They were they were promoting just walk out and these services they're selling to other retailers. So if your only impression of Amazon was from this show, um, that would be the focus. But I, I don't think that is accurate. They they have pulled back on a lot of the retail formats. The one they have not pulled back on is their grocery format outside of Whole Foods. So they have Amazon Fresh, which is continuing to be deployed. There was not a lot of presence that i could see at this show for amazon fresh um they did have jason bushell who's the brand new i think like one month on the job ceo of whole foods so he replaced john Mackey, who was the the founder of whole foods and stayed for like four years after the acquisition which um it's kind of impressive i assume he had a good earnout. um so now they've got a new amazon guy in place as the ceo of whole foods he gave a keynote talking a lot about the evolution of Whole Foods and Whole Foods, according to him, is all in on retail experiences. They want to double down on retail theater. He was talking about how they're being able to leverage a lot of Amazon technology uh, in in new, you know, faster, more agile flavors of of Whole Foods. But that Whole Foods is still maintaining its individual distinctiveness from from Amazon. Like I got the impression a a meaningful portion of his keynote was to refute the impression that they had been assimilated by the board. Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah. So that, that was the vibe there. What was interesting is if, if you went to a grocery shop before the pandemic or for sure, if you went to grocery shop last year, the big buzzy thing was ultra fast delivery, 15 minute delivery. Um, and that was mostly dead at this show. Like mo people were like, Oh, remember when we thought 15 minute delivery was going to be a thing? Ha ha ha. That, uh, <laughs> It, you know, oh, there's been a ton of consolidation in there. Um, I, uh, moderated a panel with a bunch of the convenience stores. So I had like the chief digital officer from 7-Eleven, uh, the chief, uh, business development officer for GoPuff, which is 
maybe the the biggest most surviving uh, ultra fast delivery service. Um, and then the the founder slash CEO of Foxtrot, which is a cool digitally native um, convenience store based out of Chicago, where I live. Um, and the they were all kind of uniform that like Seven Eleven has a fast delivery service. Go GoPuff obviously has a fast delivery service, and they're all like it's part of the customer experience. It's not the customer experience, and it probably doesn't work as a standalone. And then uh, Fiji, who uh, the the CEO at Instacart said as much in her keynote as well. Um, so it, it definitely feels like there could still be some ultra fast delivery options out there, but it's not, it's, it's not this land grab that it felt, you know, every VC was investing in somebody that was delivering at one zip code in New York over the last couple of years. And that feels like it, it didn't work out very well. Yeah, um, so instead great. of talking about that, you know what everyone's talking about? What? Inflation and profitability. Yeah. So it was kind of the macro. The macros, yeah, yeah. The and kind of right gloomy, right? Because uh, I feel like I showed this on the show before, but like grocery year to date is up nine point eight percent over last year. But if you adjust for inflation, groceries down two percent, right? So all yeah. the growth in that category is inflation. The consumer spending, every grocer has now admitted that consumer spending has shifted, and so you know they're seeing cheaper proteins, they're seeing more needs instead of wants, and one ramification of all that. That um, value-oriented need shopping is it's just a lower margin. So while top line is is pretty healthy because of inflation, uh, margins are not so bueno. And so everyone's talking about how to get more um, more margins. And you know some of that is customer experience and bigger carts and and suggestive selling and stuff like that. But a lot of it, like there's a laser focus on operational efficiency and improving supply chain and improving the efficiency of in-store picking and stuff like not sexy, but important stuff feels like it's kind of moved up the list in, instead of some of these like novel business models, like 15 minute delivery. Yeah. Did anyone pontificate on, are we at the, through the worst of it or are we, is it going to be this long haul kind of thing? Uh, I mean, everyone, every non-economist has their own individual impression. I, d- I don't think they had. So inflation was a big topic at the show. I don't think it was a track. Like, I don't think there was any formal sessions that were about inflation. It was just kind of the subtext. Um, I mentioned I went to a customer event. Uh, the, the customer event, I was one of the keynote speakers, but one of the other keynote speakers was, uh, uh, like the, um, the chief retail economist for, um, what is it? RBC Royal Bank of Canada. <laughs> um, and, uh, I have heard, you know, I t- I've heard from a bunch of fancy economists and they, it's so funny how much they disagree with each other. Um, the RBC outlook was not very rosy. Like it mm-hmm. felt like there was like, uh, the potential, not necessarily to go way deeper, but the potential to stay where we are for a meaningful period of time. Um, yeah. but one dude's opinion, I've heard a lot of other, other well-reasoned people that, that had different opinions. And to me, I, I look at all that on the aggregate and say, it's just not knowable. There's just too many variables. Yeah. I would say the bookends are getting wider, which may be good. So it used to be the bookends were like, it's going to be three years and it's in days. So it was like bad and worse. Uh, and now I'm starting to hear more people say, you know, we may, you know, we may be getting through the top of it or we've, we've hit the bottom, however you want to look at it. And, you know, we think that next year things will get better. So 
don't know, at least the bookends are getting wider, which means there's more probability it'll be less bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, obviously as a retailer, you got to do a lot of scenario planning. Uh, you know, one of the things that we've lost track of is like all this crazy supply chain disruption that retailers have been working through. Um, in some ways, some of it's getting better. Like the cost of containers is way down now. It's kind of back to rational levels or even below pandemic levels to move a container from China to the U.S. right now. Um, but there still is a lot of inventory moving through the system. And um, all that inventory moving through the system is based on what everyone thought demand was three months ago. And because the macros are shifting so fast and, you know, we've gone from all these wants to needs, like most of that inventory is is still wrong. Hmm. Right. Like a lot of the inventory that's getting unpacked right now is home improvement and apparel that had a, like a nice spike and they're not popular right, right now. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, uh, John Ferner, the CEO of, uh, or the president of Walmart, uh, spoke at both grocery shop and at the CBA thing. And, uh, he told the scary story of the CBA thing that he was in Long Beach recently and had the unpleasant experience of watching containers for last Christmas and this Christmas get unpacked together. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, that's something I've never had happen to me before. Wow. Yeah. How do you even run a business that way? It's impossible. Yeah, the he 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 told the story that he's like they're taking a car to a store from the Long Beach airport, and uh, he's uh, they're driving by the freeway, and all along the median of the freeway are these Walmart storage containers, um, and uh, and he's in the car with Charles, the chief merchant at Walmart, and and Charles is like, huh, I wonder what's in all those. <laughs> and, oh, wow! You know, if your chief merchant doesn't know what's in them, you're in trouble, right? Like it's a crazy. Yeah. It's a, it's a crazy time. And so I do think we may talk about this later in the show. Um, if we haven't already gone too verbose, but, uh, I I think this is all going to play out in a bunch of very interesting ways over holiday this year. Yeah. Well, cool. Tell us about the CPG. Yeah. Um, so similar CPG, uh, has some unique challenges, um, there's a lot of ESG pressures on, on the CPG category. So environmental, um, uh, regulation, government, uh, you know, there's a ton of packaging issues in the, the CPG space. And so, you know, they're all trying to figure out how to get, use more sustainable packaging, how to get stuff, um, recycled, uh, better and more often all that kind of stuff. Um, so that was a big topic. Uh, but the other big topics are all about inflation and profitability, right? And, and again, you know, them trying to have the right stuff for retailers when the stuff retailers thought they needed three months ago is not the same stuff they think they need now. Yeah. Wow. So it's kind of common thread there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like that was very consistent between the two shows. And, and again, like all these CPG guys are also laser like focused on their uh, profitability eroding as well and comps on profitability from, from the last couple of years and stuff like that. So uh, it seems like everybody has, has very practical concerns. It seems like we should see a huge wave of retirements as guys like bail, bail on these challenging situations. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Good time to tap out, I guess. Exactly. Start a, uh, get more entrepreneurial and start a car wash. Yeah. Um, or become a consultant. Yeah. 
That's uh, that has never been a good career. I think that's well proven. Okay. Give me your watch, and I'll tell you what time it is. <laughs> um, anything else from the trip reports? Uh, I feel like that is most of the stuff from the trips. It, you know, again, it was a dense week. It was a lot of fun conversations. We got to see a lot of our old friends. Uh, everybody is uh, the main um, emotion I get at these shows now is people see me and they're disappointed because they're not seeing you. Oh, good. That's what I. That's what I'm going for. Yeah, I felt like you would you would enjoy that. It kind of sucks for me, but you know, I'll I'll I deal with it. Then hopefully they go into kind of making fun of your title. So that's- I feel like they most uh, that does happen sometimes. Um, but yeah, I feel like sometimes they do that behind my back too. So it is <laughs> not paranoid though. No. So you were in the green room <laughs> in the green room. You were saying that you're getting a lot of questions about, um, you know, Facebook, uh, and their sub Instagram and some of these other sites are pulling back on their commerce initiatives. Um, and some folks seem to be reading that as a, you know, getting out of it entirely. Um, but I think you want to set the record straight. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I can set the record straight. I I, I do think it's true that there's been a couple of news items lately. Um, you know, TikTok is owned by ByteDance uh, in China. Uh, TikTok is a platform called Daoyun. And uh, uh, live streaming commerce is wildly popular in China and specifically on Daoyun. Um, and so over the last kind of 18 months... ByteDance has been talking about bringing live streaming commerce to more markets, including the U.S. and the U.K., and they've actually had a pilot in the U.K. Um, and earlier this year, uh, they made some announcements that they were not going to bring the, the live streaming pilot to the U.S. And so that got written as ByteDance's uh, abandoning commerce in America, um, which like probably wasn't fair. Um to bite dance, they maybe they maybe could have like spun it better, but they were they're moving away from this specific experience of live streaming commerce. And one thing I always have to remind people: the first word in live streaming is live. It's a human being broadcasting a message live, and you buy it while the human being is broadcasting it. And in general, that's a wildly inefficient way to deliver content, right? Like if you have a great salesperson that can record an eight minute video that desperately makes you want to buy whipped coffee, like why would you just live stream it so that it can only be viewed by the million people that are online when it's being presented versus put it on a server and let 300 million people watch it over the subsequent month and I'll buy whipped coffee, right? And so a lot of this thing is uh tiktok said hey we're not going to bring out native live streaming tools but very little of tiktok's content in the united states is live streaming it's all short form video that's stored on a server and played back asymmetrically um and so i do think uh that tiktok has continued to lean into commerce for short form video um you know they have this whole marketing campaign around tiktok made me buy it and you know that tiktok has become the discovery platform for a lot of products and like side note uh something like 11 billion people have now like clicked on the tiktok made me buy it hashtag so like it's it's meaningful like tiktok is part of the discovery experience for a lot of shopping this was another like topic this came up in my convenience conversation is you know convenience used to be that we had a store near, uh, you know, on the way to your commute to work near the, the freeway exit. And increasingly, it's um, that, you know, we have the stuff that you just discovered on TikTok the day before. 
Um, so like, I do think co- social commerce still has a bunch of avenues. Like live streaming does not appear to be a high volume one in the U S and then later in the month, uh, Instagram, uh, depreciated a commerce feature they had that's called the shop tab. So, uh, you know, again, a lot of people discover products they want to buy on Instagram. They go to Walmart and they buy them. Um, Instagram has leaned into native checkout, which has kind of mixed success. There's only certain categories and products that it's a perfect fit for. But what they did is they took all of the the sellers of native commerce experiences and they aggregated them in a tab. And they said, hey, if you don't want to follow your favorite influencers, if you don't want to search for a particular topic, but you instead just want to go to some giant uncurated marketplace of goods for sale we have a tab on instagram right and from the day they launched that feature i'm like that's a stupid feature that's not why people use instagram and so uh guess what they turned off this month that shop tab right so you know again they still have lots of native commerce features they're still leaning into it jury's still out on how well they'll all do um but the the narrative in in all the media is TikTok and TikTok and and uh, uh, Facebook are pulling back from commerce, and in reality, they're fu- they're pulling back from some specific ideas that they now have some evidence were maybe not the best ideas. Got it. Uh, a lot to unpack there. The yeah. what do you think? Um, do you think uh, social commerce is a thing, or is it just a fad? Um, I'm surprised f- Facebook and Shop haven't gone after each other more um that, that you know the fight over the one p seems like it would draw e-commerce into the social networks um so that's a gravity that that you know we're still feeling the effects of um but so maybe it is just a narrowing of focus and maybe they're iterating and jettisoning those things that that don't don't work it's a uh, deprecating fyi not there is depreciation but deprecating is different oh um, okay thank you yeah and then uh the yeah, so I think I think they probably, you know, what what they're doing is ten experiments and getting rid of three, and people focus on that versus the seven they're keeping, and those seven they'll keep iterating on and making better. So I don't think it's dead. Yeah, and I I, I mean I'm not saying those seven are working amazingly and they're, it's a huge business. I do think like there it's an evolution. The jury's out on all of these things. It is none of them are runaway successes with easy, you know, high ROI success uh, metrics at the moment. Um, but I, I think it's too early to call it one way or the other. Right. And the, the most common narrative is a bunch of this stuff is working at huge scale in China. And so it's at least worth testing in the U S. Um, and I'm pretty confident at this point that w- w- if something is going to work in the U S it's going to look different than what works in China. Um, but I, I will tell you, I think way less products are getting discovered on the shelf in a store than ever before. And so, and way more minutes of consumers' lives are being spent on all, uh, consuming all the social content. So I do think there, there is a way in which a bunch of these saw in store moments are going to become social commerce moments. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. The, the one I've been experimenting a lot is some of the vertical ones where in the collectible space, there's a couple that, that are uh, kind of card oriented. So either sports cards or non-sports cards. Um, and then there's one called whatnot. That's really interesting. And, you know, it's a lot like, so when digital sweeps through an, an industry, it enables the 
the the producer, be it the manufacturer or in this case, maybe the artist to go direct. So in my little world of comic books, there's a lot of comic book creators that are now just going right to their their end user and selling like autograph stuff. And it's neat because during the live stream, you can have like three different pieces of e-commerce going. They can be running an auction. There's like a little e-commerce tab. Um, and then a lot of times there'll be a games kind of a gamesmanship of things. So they'll, you can enter to win. You can, you know, if you buy certain of these things, you get something of that. So there's a lot of gamification. That's kind of like this third layer on top of what's going on. So I, I've been experimenting with that. And, um, you know, the, the buzz is their GMV is just monstrous. And they've even through these times uh, during COVID is they really accelerated and you would expect them to slow down. But evidently, even though the overall collectibles market has slowed down, they continue to gobble share. Um, so that one's, that one's worth keeping an eye on. And, you know, because it has such a vertical application, I don't know if you would count it in this discussion because it's not really social media. It's more pure live streaming. Yeah. Although I would count it. And I would say like a more mild version of that. My seven year old son watches hours of people cracking packs of Pokemon cards on YouTube kids. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. And the outcome of that is he's constantly nagging me to buy Pokemon merchandise, right? And to me, that's social commerce. Like, the fact that he's not clicking a button in the YouTube video to buy the cards does, is not the definition of social commerce. The, to me, social commerce is he's discovering and increasing his desire for a bunch of products through consumption of social media that he then, you know, tries to turn into commerce events elsewhere. Yeah. It's even better because you uh, you're basically his shopping butt. Oh my god, yeah, yeah. It it is uh, brutal until he learns how Alexa works, and then you're you're done for. Yeah, I've, we've had to, we'll get to that too. But I've had to disable that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, remember, like at seven, he's just now becoming literate. But even before he was literate, he could do very robust searches on YouTube and Google with voice, and he could correspond with me in long conversations over text message with voice. So it it is crazy how. Well, his dad is the original retail geek. Uh, no, I'm not holding this out as like, oh, my son's advanced or special or anything. I just think it's ama amazing what kids are able to do with these tools that obviously didn't exist for previous generations. Yeah. How about, uh, so this was exciting and it wouldn't be a Jason Scott show if we didn't talk about a little bit of Amazon news. <laughs> Amazon News. Your margin is their opportunity. So um, Amazon liked during COVID having the fall prime day. So they, but then this year they did it back in June. So now they're going to have two prime days. Um, so October 10th, 11th and 12th, excuse me, are going to be the second grouping of prime days, but they're not calling it prime day. So, the thing that happened in June was Prime Day, which was two days of exclusive deals for Prime members. And then the thing that's happening October 11 and 12 is going to be, quote unquote, Prime Early Access Sale um, or P's, I guess, P's, P-E-A-S. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so you can have your P's in October. and But don't call it Prime Day. It's not no. another Prime Day. No, and it's completely it's different. Just like what day. it is is two days of deals for Prime members. <laughs> Yeah, but so it's clearly not Prime Day. Yeah, because amongst Great. other things, it's in October. Yeah, yes, that that makes it not Prime Day. 
Um, and then, but that harkens, you know, we're getting into the season here where we get, uh, everyone starts thinking about holiday. What are you hearing from your clients and other retailers out there about holiday this year? Yeah, it is going to be a wacky holiday I, because to me, there's, there's at least three big trends that are all intersecting. Like the first one is the one you highlighted. It feels like this is going to be the earliest holiday ever. Um, and largely because, you know, Amazon's got this, this new event on the 11th and 12th. Uh, in response to that, Target announced that they're launching deal days the October 6th through the 8th. Um, Walmart, like, published some data that, like, more than 50% of all Walmart shoppers, which is a lot of shoppers, plan to start their holiday shopping in October. Um, so, you know, I, I feel like there was always this race to move the holiday from, from, you know, the, the Cyber 5 or Turkey 5, like, earlier into November. But now, We've we've clearly pulled it all the way into October, um, and there is the potential for some interesting unintended consequences of that, which I'll get to in a minute. But so that is a wild new dynamic we've never really seen before. There was a year during the pandemic when Prime Day itself was accidentally in October, and so that's maybe the the closest version of this. But that time there was no, not a lot of advanced notice. The other retailers didn't kind of match it this year. Everybody seems in on the early holiday. Um, so layer on that, we have all of these concerns about profitability. We have tons of retailers that have said they have too much inventory. They have the wrong inventory. Uh, Nike stock just got cream because they said this is going to be the most promotional holiday ever because they've got so much, Merchandise to work through Target and Walmart have both talked about, you know, if we could wave a magic wand and get rid of a couple billion dollars in inventory, we would. There's the ton of the wrong stuff. And the way retailers get rid of the wrong stuff is they discount it. Right. So when you do all these discounts, like you, you sometimes are able to sell through your stuff and your top line sales can even be okay, but your margins get really hammered. And so like you, you add inflation and the shift in shopping behaviors from wants to needs on top of all this, you know, crazy promotions, like the promotions probably have to be deeper to move the needle in that environment, which then hurts margins even more. So it's a, a really uncertain holiday from a margin standpoint. Um, and then there's just the whole question of, are we going to have the right stuff available when customers want it? Like uh, a lot of these retailers that announced these October deals that was not their supply chain plan in March when they were ordering inventory, right? So it's it's even unclear, are they going to have enough inventory to support all these events in October? You know, remember a lot of the Amazon stuff is not Amazon stuff, right? It's marketplace sellers. They they haven't been preparing for three months uh, for this sale. So there there's meaningful potential for supply chain disruption, um, you know, FedEx is having a rough time. <laughs> uh, UPS is doing a little bit better, but like it's unclear what kind of unplanned capacity they're going to have to accommodate this this you know new surprise spike that they're likely going to see in October. Um, and then you know think about the kind of things that happen. It are these October sales going to pull in a bunch of Turkey Five sales, and so is is uh, Cyber Monday just going to be a slower day than usual? Is it going to be less of a peak? Or are people still going to want to comp against the Turkey Five? So are they going to do another round of discounting? And is it going to have to be deeper than the October discounts to move the needle again? Uh, are we going to run out of inventory and have a replenishment event in December? So are we going to have a second spike 
in December. And, you know, the dirty little secret in all this, uh, a lot of people spend extra on themselves on holiday. Like self-gifting is a really, you know, big thing. Um, self-gifting gets hurt more than, than some of these other categories, you know, based on uh, inflation and economic uncertainty. Um, as, as you talked about, like the economists can't agree on on what direction the economy is going. Are consumers going to feel more comfortable in in December and have different shopping trends than they have for these October sales? Like it could change between October and December. Yeah, yeah, maybe. So it used to be that you would do all this planning and you'd have everything lined up and the merchandise ready to go. I think now they're just like, well, let's have a sale and whatever inventory shows up off the containers, we'll sell that. That's <laughs> seems, what it like literally does, does feel like. It feels very like yeah. it feels like. Not because they want to, but because they have to. Like every retailer feels like they're in a very reactive inventory position, and it's less about planning what you should have and more about like figuring out, you know, how to bake the best of what you do have. Cool. Any other news catch your attention from uh, the last week or so? Uh, a few little things. Um, you know, another piece of Amazon news uh, that uh, was kind of buzzy is they made a reasonable size acquisition. They they bought iRobot, or at least announced their intention to buy iRobot for. Like just under two billion dollars, right? Like one point seven billion dollars. Yeah. Are you a Roomba guy? I am not. I've never been able to get those things to work in my house, so I've always tried the robots and then uh, returned them. No, oh, they always get stuck under a chair. Yeah, I have never tried one. I have heard that they're they've gotten significantly better. Like I, I feel like I've talked to people that feel like they're they're like meaningfully helpful, but I I don't have any firsthand experience. Um. So, but the narrative for that acquisition is like everyone's like, "Oh, it's super smart because Amazon is secretly trying to get a map of everyone's house in America." Um, and I think you and I talked about that. I don't think either of us are think that that's the case or are very excited about that. Yeah, yeah, I think it's just the political sentiment is anti Amazon right now, and they're gonna they're gonna kick up dust to really just for political reasons. I don't see any data risk from the iRobot. There's way more from the ring camera and those kinds of things that are taking your picture than some, you know, map of your house. If you ever had one of these things, I question like how good its little map is anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I mean, again, I think Amazon wants to own the home. I think, you know, they think there's, that's a meaningful product category that they want to have the best products in. And iRobot was the best or at least, you know, most financially successful product in, in that category. So I think they were just design buying a desirable product. Cat product in a category that was interesting to them. I don't think it was some crazy data play, but it is, for better or worse, going to get some extra uh, antitrust scrutiny because of because it's Amazon. Yeah, I saw they. Um, well, let's let's talk about iPhone. Did you finally get your new iPhone? I did. I did. I uh, you know ordered mine immediately, and I, as I think we've talked about, my wife and I are in the like upgrade program. Annoyingly, my wife gets a more normal memory size, and so she got hers on launch day. And even though I ordered mine the same time, mine came like a week later. So mine came while I was at grocery shop. Oh man, that's the worst when you're on the trip and your new phone arrives. Yep, first world problems. uh, (laughs) It is. I've uh, there's several reports that from these folks that watch the supply chain that uh, orders are underwhelming Apple's forecast. So a lot of people are not choosing to upgrade. And I think it's part of the, the inflation cycle. People are like, ah, you know, it's expensive. I can, uh, um, I can wait for the next one. Yeah. And I mean, there just is a, a diminishing returns thing. Like I, I do think there's meaningful improvements in this front phone versus the last one, but like, are they, they're less life changing than, 
meaningful improvements in the iPhone 5 to the iPhone 6, for example, or something like that, right? Like, it's just... Yeah, and I saw kind of in passing, Amazon did a bunch of new hardware, like, you know, yet another Echo and all that jazz, and none of it was inspiring. Like, I didn't really even click past the little banner. Um, did anything there tickle your fancy? No, same. I was kind of interested because I, I we have a lot of uh, Amazon devices in our home, and I was kind of curious to see if they'd have any, like, can't-miss upgrades. And the basic answer was no. Like, they have some, you know, cool, iteratively better products. But the most interesting thing they added is, you know, they own this Wi-Fi mesh net uh, technology called Eero, um, and they basically turned every other Amazon device in your home into a Eero, um, extender. So if you're, if you're a heavy user of Eero, all these new echoes become cool because they all suddenly like expand your Wi-Fi mesh. But interestingly, that's a software upgrade that even works on all the older echo devices that we already have. And so they, they really didn't like improve any of the echo devices that I have that I wish worked a little better. Um, Maybe the newest semi-cool product is this thing called Halo Rise, which is kind of like a a sleep monitor slash gentle wake-up alarm clock. But no, nothing that I bought, nothing that I was very excited about. Yeah. Whatever happened to the thing that would like fly around, you know, it's like a remote control drone? In, yeah, it has not been house. launched yet. It does not. Um, so they, they do have a – there's two robots. There was that, that – there was the drone robot – that flies around your house. And to my knowledge, that's, that's not released. And then there's a, you know, kind of like a wheel based robot called, I want to say, is it Astro? I think it is Astro. Um, they, they did a bunch of software upgrades to Astro this year to make it slightly more useful. Um, but I just, I just haven't heard people get very excited or very buzzy about that. And now of course, I mean, I assume you are already on the wait list for a, a Tesla robot, aren't you? Um, this look a little expensive for me, but yeah. uh, they are, and they got a creepy factor that kind of like, you know, I've seen enough sci-fi to not really want one of those in my home at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know where this goes. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. red light, the green light will turn to a red light and then it will come and kill me in my sleep. So, so no, I'm going to pass, but yeah. you know, I think you guys should try. Uh, yeah. I, pre- I appreciate the, the <laughs> vote of confidence, but yeah, I don't think I'm early on that list either. Um, yeah, so a bunch of that hardware came out. Uh, this is super random, but uh, Google also announced some new hardware. Um, and so I am excited. I've got kind of an older Google uh, door camera um, that has some features that I really want, which makes it hard to switch to another brand. But like they're, the software ecosystem for Google, like for Google, it's embarrassing. Um, yeah, I had a drop cam and I can never get the Nest thing took over and... Like yeah, and so the Dropcam app became the Nest app, and then the Nest uh, app became the Google Home app. And it literally has been the case for two years that half the features can only be accessed from the Google Home app, and the other half of the features can only be accessed from the Nest app. And it's it's just it's embarrassing. Um, and so they, they did announce today some new uh, wired and battery-powered doorbells with some cool new, new features. Um, but the feature I'm most excited about is their promising... Like a new app gets pushed this week that that fixes all those problems. So I hope I hope that's true. I'll buy one yeah. of those. This is interesting. I read this report, and this was on the internet, so it's a hundred percent true. Um, and basically, what what what's happened is Google engineers are promoted if they work on launch products, and there's like this 
your record at Google feeds into the review system and how you get compensation increases. So what happens is engineers being engineers have figured out that's the key component and they just work on launching stuff and move from product to product. And when I heard that, I was like, ah, this makes sense because, you know, there's so much of this half baked Google stuff. You kind of are like, it's, you know, there can't possibly be someone at Google that owns that experience you're talking about because that would, that'd be embarrassing. Right. So, so they've, you know, I think what's happened is they just move on. They're working on, they just closed that gaming thing. Um, yeah. You know, I forget the name of that thing. Stava, uh, Sta- something, Stadia. Yeah. 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 So, so that, that actually kind of made a lot of sense that the, the incentives are kind of misaligned at Google apparently for, for where the smart engineers work. Oh, that totally makes sense. So you're saying it's not day one at Google anymore. Uh, no, that's not their thing. I know, they, but I'm their thing is 10%. Time. See how I tied that all together? Yeah, that's good. Um, so what we're way over time, but one last piece of news just because it's silly of nothing else. Um, so depending on how you count, the second or third largest e-commerce site in China um, is uh, this company called Pinduoduo or PDD. And it's a really novel, clever, gamified uh, commerce experience where you like you get better deals for getting more people to participate in group buys. And it kind of gets you to become an advocate for these deals. It's really smart. And, and they're doing huge volumes of sales in China. Um, so super exciting about uh, a month ago, they announced that they are launching their first e-commerce site in the U.S. And they they launched a URL called ShopTemu, T-E-M-U.com. Um, and so I, of course, jumped on their launch day to kind of evaluate the UX, see what kind of novel things they invented, and order some products. Nice. How was the experience? Awful. <laughs> uh, so it's a, it's a really rudimentary e-commerce experience of a giant catalog of kind of cruddy, uh, undesirable products. Um, it felt very Wish-like to me, except Wish is an app and this is a website. Um, and so my my test purchase... Uh, I found a shirt, a shirt for sale for 99 cents with free shipping to the United States from China. Um, and so, uh, and in fact, it was, uh, on sale for 30% off. So I think my, my landed cost for this shirt was like 76 cents. Uh, so I did a test order and exactly like wish, uh, the promise ship date was like 21 days. So you order this shirt and then you wait 21 days. Um, and <laughs> that is wow. Yeah, while this was happening, uh, I moved. And so then I'm like, oh, shoot, I put the wrong, I put my old address. I'm going to be moved before this product arrives. And so if I briefly thought about like, am I going to be a hold, be able to get a hold of customer service, uh, for, for Shop Timu? I kind of suspect they don't have any customer service in the U.S. What am I going to do? And then I realized I paid 76 cents. So I just logged on <laughs> and I, I ordered another one at my other address. And like to their credit, the shirt showed up in about eight days. So much faster than they promised. Um, and I got both shirts. My, the guy that bought my house brought, <laughs> brought the, the old one over and I, I got the new one. Um, and, you know, this, you know, probably a bad sign for the, the earth that this is the future of fast fashion. But like, yeah, I got two copies of this shirt for 76 cents each that were, you know, delivered from China, which is mind blowing to me. Um, and then I, I tried them on and I suddenly realized like, although I ordered my normal size, it was three sizes too small. Um, and I went online and I was talking to some other people and that appears to be the, the same experience that everyone in America is happening having. So it's not just me. 
But it's only 76 cents. So, boom. Yeah, I should have bought two. And so, uh, oh, I did buy two. I guess I could put them to you know, get a tailor to put them together <laughs> and have one shirt. Problem yeah. solved. I was excited to wear my PDD shirt, but yeah, no love. Except the tailor is going to charge you $300. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so interesting that they're coming to the U.S. I think this first first experience is pretty rudimentary. It reminded me, Scott, you might be the only guy in America that remembers this, um, but Alibaba actually launched an e-commerce site in the United States called like 21 Main. I remember that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was I, actually an acquisition they did of a competitor to Channelvisor called Auction Watch. They acquired uh, it, and then they had done a little experiment of taking their eBay sellers, and they had put a front end on it. Alibaba rebranded that to twenty one, whatever that was, and then it did not do well at all. Yeah, exactly. So that kind of felt like this: like you go, like, oh my god, a huge juggernaut in e commerce is coming to the U.S. This is going to be super interesting. And then it turns out to be a nothing burger. So maybe this is just the first toe dip and we'll see something cool come. I would be much more interested to see them try some of their their uh, gamification dynamics here. But uh, apparently we'll have to wait a little longer for that. That is sad news. Yeah. That's probably where we're going to have to end it. Yeah. Speaking of having to wait a long time, uh, the show ended up being a little longer than I thought. So uh, thanks so much if you stuck with us. Uh that, but this is definitely going to uh, be where we'll have to wrap it. So if you enjoyed the show, take two more minutes, jump on iTunes, and finally give us that five-star review. Thanks, everybody. And until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 